Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. And welcome again to the Explaining History podcast. Now, if you've been listening in the last few months, you'll know that I've been doing various features on the development of the Nazi camp system, particularly from the works of Nicholas Frushman uh, and his brilliant book, KL, A History of the Nazi Camps, which if you haven't read it already, you really, really should. But we're our way through the book. Um, we focus mainly on the development of the camp, uh, the careers of various camp administrators and guards, and the, the kind of the sociology really of the the SS. But now I want to focus more on the day to day experience of prisoners uh, in the camps, particularly um, as we've seen the the life for prisoners became well the life um the system of the camps became more and more coordinated and so as it did as the camps moved from chaos which um was an accurate description of their their first kind of inception to a more ordered system so the treatment of prisoners changed as well so a more standardized system emerged in the mid 1930s for dealing with with prisoners um, the uh, various um, contours of the different camps began began to sort of iron out, and a standardised camp system um, uh, emerged, um, uh, along with the uh, the careers uh, of prog- progression of of the staff and their backgrounds, but also uh, the prisoners um, experienced greater kind of uniformity, um, and for example their their appearance. So they, uh, by 1936, their the hair was shaved off on arrival, um, and that happened at regular intervals thereafter, partly to make sure that um, issues of, of lice um, didn't become too much of, of a problem, but also to show that uh, you know anyone who had a shaved head and who was outside the camp could be easily identified. Um, 
as a prisoner, and of course it was a, a, a tactic for dehumanisation, for stripping away uh, identity. And also about 1938, the identical uniforms uh, began to come in as well. Um, it used to be before that that a kind of a mishmash of um, civilian clothes, old police uh, garments um, uh, would be generally what the prisoners would wear. You see old photographs of them wearing kind of jumpers and ill-fitting trousers. But by the uh, late 1930s, the, the blue and grey stripes, uh, the zebra uniform, um, uh, which was blue and white in the summer and blue and grey in, in winter, uh, with numbers stitched onto the, the jackets and the trousers, uh, was introduced. That's around, around 1938. Um, so in the smaller camps... Um, guards had once uh, arrest, uh, sort of spoken to the inmates directly by name, but in the larger camps of the late 1930s, prisoners were then reduced to numbers and they would simply be referred to as a number. Now, even though uh, prisoner life was standardised and prisoner appearance was standardised, it didn't mean to say that um, different groupings and hierarchies didn't emerge from within the prison system. There were some prisoners who were better fed, better groomed, uh, better accommodated and um, better dressed than others. And these were normally the the capos, the uh, prisoners who policed other prisoners. Between 1937 and 1938, the system of triangles was introduced. Um, for example, the red triangles for political prisoners, pink triangles for uh, gay men in the, the prison system and um, uh, other, other triangles for different kind of uh, denotations of, of crimes. Um, and this had a huge impact on prisoner lives and how they would uh, survive the prison system. Um, the day-to-day -day lives of prisoners uh, varied uh, radically. Schedules would often vary depending on what time of year it was uh, and what year it, it was, in fact. Um, the SS liked to remind the prisoners that they were master over every aspect of their lives and particularly over the question of time. So the um, ability to make daily life unpredictable so that the inmates um, were constantly anxiously worrying what was going to happen next and what was going to happen to them next um, was a, a key part of the, the, the regime of terror. Um, routine, anything out of the routine is frightening. It can involve punishments, it can involve, involve extra work, it can involve hardship and hardship can be fatal. Um, and abuse can be spontaneous. Now, in previous podcasts, um, we've talked about how Theodore Eich, um, the head of the camp system, um, liked to ensure that there was uh, sadism, but that sadism was a kind was that which fell into certain disciplines and boundaries. Well, having um, unpredictability, um, having um, the SS guards storm into uh, barrack blocks and beat everybody up or throw belongings onto the floor or bring about random punishments. That was a way of introducing chaos into the prisoners' lives to constantly keep them on their toes and constantly keep them in a state of anxiety. Days were broken into segments, and these were marked by bells or sirens, which would, which would be uh, heard all the way across the camp, 
Um, and this was you know, part of the uh, regime brought in from the army because, of course, the Nazis had this fantasy that if Germany was run like a barracks, then um, there would be some kind of uh, change to the nature, the culture, society uh, through this constant sort of regimentation and militarization. Um, so the day begins at about 4 a.m. or perhaps e- even earlier and prisoners would be allowed to splash a bit of water on their face or their bodies, eat some porridge um, and have uh, a thin watery kind of ersatz sort of coffee, um, quickly wash their plates and store them. Uh, these are the kinds of things that you don't want going walk about because if you haven't got a bowl the next time you come to uh, the uh, canteen then you're going to go hungry. Um and then they would make their make their beds. They would have to be out of their quarters and march to roll call very quickly, silently, and in a military manner. And well, roll call could be agonising. Weak prisoners would have to be supported by their comrades, um, and the nobody missed roll call. Um, the uh, SS. Uh, would verify the number, and if there are any mistakes, prisoners would have to stand for a very long time, several hours, um, until um, there were checks made and the whereabouts of people supposedly missing from roll call um, were uh, accounted for. Um, There would be uh, loudspeaker announcements, normally announcing new kinds of restrictions or punishments or threats, Um, And block leaders would sometimes be punished um, in front of the uh, rest of the uh, prisoners for, for example, having some of their uh, people they were responsible for being slumped or having poor posture. Um, Prisoners would be then split into um, labour battalions, labour details, and marched away quickly. Sometimes to work outside in outside the compound, and sometimes to work within it. So they would be often outsourced to local businesses to give them free labour. Um, in all, and these would be uh, people who would be supplying all sorts of favours, kickbacks, and corruption to the camp uh, in order for this uh, resource that the camp had managed to capture. Um, most of the daytime hours of the prisoners would be taken up with work. There'd be a brief lunch, which would be some kind of uh, vegetable stew, um, normally very watery, uh, with bread. Um, And most of the prisoners would constantly be feeling hunger. Now, it's unlikely to say in any of the camps before the war that there's starvation, but there's constant hunger. Um, Food is sort of just about tolerable. Um, by and large, the, the amount of calories per day that a German uh, camp prisoner would be surviving on would be sufficiently better than most of the inmates of the gulags in the Soviet Union at, at this time. But in both cases, um, there's um, not... Um, I mean, even in the Soviet Union, there aren't instances of mass starvation in the camps, but there is constant uh, acute hunger most of the time. Um, the prisoners were able to supplement their daily rations. Uh, relatives uh, were prevented from sending food, but they could transfer little sums of money um, to the prisoners to give them additional supplies from the SS-run 
uh, canteens. And Dachau, for example, an inmate who gained four rash marks a week in 1938 could buy half a pound of butter, half a pound of biscuits, a tin of herring or sardines, some artificial honey, a few personal items like soap, shoelaces or toothpaste, a few dozen cubes of sugar, and two packs of cigarettes, uh, which of course would have made uh, an unofficial currency uh, amongst the other inmates. Um, At the evening roll call, following the return of all the labour details, um, the men would stand exhausted and had to stand to attention, no matter what the weather was, um, until the SS counted everybody. Um, the SS would often enjoy uh, dragging this out because uh, knowing how in in what physical pain and exhaustion the prisoners were in, um, and they would sometimes force the prisoners to sing songs or um, uh, make them watch uh, punishment beatings. Uh, the punishments take place, and then the prisoners would be able to go off and eat in their quarters. Normally, some more watery soup and bread. Um, and then they would perhaps have to perform more chores within the labour, within the compound, such as cleaning uniforms and sweeping up and doing uh, various various manual jobs. Um, prisoners could be dragged out of their own spare time, what little of that there was, and private conversations were forbidden nearly uh, throughout most of the day, so seeing prisoners snapping chatting uh, was a punishable uh, offence. Um, but in the evening, um, in the barracks, prisoners could get together and talk. Um, the only thing they could read would be Nazi newspapers, which they had to purchase themselves. Um, and then at about nine o'clock, um, the prisoners um, would be inside their quarters um and then sirens would go off and lights if you're looking for plump lips that last you need to know about juvederm lip fillers with juvederm volbella xc and juvederm ultra xc your lip look whether it's subtle or bold can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at juvederm.com today that's j-u-v-e-d-e-r-m.com add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with juvederm volbella xc or juvederm ultra xc do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Wow. Nice. Yeah. 
What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. We go out. So really the prisoners' lives were one endless cycle of nonstop physical hard labor. Um, with um, anybody leaving their uh, barrack blocks at night uh, would face um, the death penalty. Um, and then the next day would be the same cycle of, of endless physical labour. Some days there was some letter from this, and the uh, labour wasn't at the centre stage uh, then. The SS is still obviously in control on, on Sundays, but there would be, and uh, they would be you know, sometimes uh, longer roll calls. But the chance to do things that didn't involve hard physical labour for a few hours was there, such as um, the establishment of prison orchestras um, to perform for the SS, and there were um, religious Sunday services, um, in, uh, as there were in, in most prisons. In Dachau, um, the SS uh, sometimes allowed in local priests to celebrate Mass on the roll call uh, square. And um, this obviously grinds to a halt in the mid-1930s when uh, the Nazi regime um, finds its own bitter feud uh, with the Catholic Church. And eventually Himmler prevents this practice altogether. And, of course, SS men took time off on Sundays, meaning that the um, total number of uh, guards available uh, had declined. And so that was um, possibly gave the prisoners slightly greater licence to try to find a moment of, of free time. So they were able to um, read or play board games or... Uh, have a little bit of a uh, little bit of downtime. Um, for example, and I quote here Nicholas Vashman, he says, When Hans Litten was moved from Lichtenberg to Buchenwald in 1937, he had to send home his entire collection um, of books. You can well mean what that, you can well imagine what that means to me, he wrote to his mother in despair. Litten now had to rely on rudimentary camp libraries that sprung up since 1933, uh, sometimes funded with monies extorted from prisoners. Uh, though the SS purchased plenty of propaganda tracts, there were enough books, almost 6,000 titles in Buchenwald by autumn 1939, to include the occasional gem. Um, so inmates spent a lot of time, when they did have free, uh, free time, writing letters to um, to loved ones. Um, they would be able to send a brief letter or a postcard every other week, um, and this made um, uh, on this was on the condition and on the understanding that these letters would be censored, uh, would be read. Anything that looked like criticism um, would um, have serious consequences. And um, idea, simple letters would be uh, something like, um, thank you for the money you've sent me, thank you for um, the letter, I am fine, I am well. Um, very bland, very nondescript. 
but all the more important because uh, visits were almost impossible um, and by the end of the 1930s only allowed in exceptional circumstances. Um, withheld letters um, or delayed letters caused great alarm and distress among relatives who assumed the worst. Um, in 1938, um, Nicholas Foshman writes, the wife of a Dachau prisoner um, uh, contacted the commandant's office uh, saying, uh, asking bluntly, have you shot my husband because no mail is arriving anymore? Clever hidden references, annotations, marks, whatever could be um, could be uh, snuck into uh, letters. Um, prisoners um, from early on uh, in the uh, camp system uh, created their own artistic uh, performances, um, the uh, for which were sanctioned by the SS, but some kind sometimes could be subversive. Um, uh, for an example of this would be a theatre performance of acrobatics and dance and music um, known as the Circus Concentricani uh, uh, that was held at the Bourgamore uh, camp uh, in uh, 1933 um, uh, that had songs in and jokes uh, about um, the SS men um, some of whom who didn't quite get that they were the butt of the jokes, some who watched in uh, disbelief um, at this daring display of, of defiance. And um, these were very, very few and far between. Um, they were punished uh, severely. Um, and it was something that the SS were themselves punished for by their authorities as boundaries between the prisoners and guards started to be blurred by these acts. Uh, prisoners um, wouldn't always find, uh, wouldn't always ask permission for these kinds of cultural gang shows, um, but um, there would also be secret um, religious and political meetings happening in the camps, often um, under the cover of night. One of the systems that was used most um, regularly in the camp system um, towards the end of the 1930s was the use of capos, um, or using prisoners as surrogate guards. Um, he refer Himmler referred to this as a system for holding down subhumans. Um, Himmler said, and again I quote Nicholas Waschmann, a few select inmates, Himmler explained, forced others to work hard, keep clean and make their beds. These prisoners' supervisors were known, uh, Himmler ad added, as the so-called capos. Um, the term capo had derived from the Italian uh, term uh, capo, C-A-P-O, or head or leader. It's a term we used in, in a kind of mafia terminology as the capo de capo, the boss of bosses. Um, and this is where, where the term came from. Um, and the uh, camp machinery became came to rely on capos more and more. Um, in the pre-war camp system, it had become um, so effective that the Nazis eventually interjected this into a Jewish ghettos. It was a great system for dividing and ruling. And, and into the slave labour camps and the death camps um, later on. Um, the capo system predated Nazism, however. 
So the to start with, um, the capos had been essentially uh, trustees in German prisons. Um, Rudolf Hess, for example, had been a when he had been in prison for murder, um, had been uh, a trustee clerk at uh, Brandenburg Prison um, in 1927. And so many of the KL, uh, the camp inmates, had previously been inside Nazi prisons. They already understood the system. They already knew the system of assuming influential posts. Um, And here again, I quote Nicholas Vashman. We arrived from the penitentiary, one communist activist later described his arrival in Buchenwald, um, and we used to uh, uh, and we used to uh, a comrade serving as a trustee. Um, what distinguished the KL was not the deployment of prisoners as such, but the powers some capos gained. So Theodor Eich, um, who would have thought of himself as the, the the founder of the capo system, was not its creator. Um, and the truth of the matter was that. Perhaps nobody was actually the creator of the capo system. It is was something that kind of emerged between the prisoners themselves and then a kind of a consensus between the prisoners and the guards. Obviously, becoming a capo was quite an attractive job for a prisoner because it meant perks and privileges. Initially, some prisoners wanted there to be a, a kind of a, a block leader who would sort out grievances who would deal with problems, who would make sure that people that weren't pulling their weight pulled it so that everybody else wasn't punished. Um, And this suddenly was noticed by prison authorities and later by the Nazis as being an effective way of of running and managing things. Of course, the thing about the capos under the Nazis is they become enormously compromised um, and they become uh, allied to the regime, complicit in its crimes, and they become uh, the means by which they, the Nazis divide and rule in the camp. The last thing the Nazis wanted emerging in the camp was any kind of solidarity. The system was deeply entrenched by the mid-1930s and grew as the camp's system expanded. Um, what happened is best, sort of in inverted commas, best practice, be it to do with capos or anything else, would be copied and rolled out to other camps. At the end of the 1938, um, when Buchenwald had about, had about 11,000 prisoners, there were f- about 500 capos. And senior capos were appointed by the SS, um, though uh, officers would uh, often listen to proposals from prominent prisoners as to why they or one of their kind of uh, friends should become a capo. Um, and this almost f- formed a kind of a parallel organisational structure to the SS. So the capos were formed into three groups, work supervisors of labour details, um, there would be capos who supervised um, prisoner life um, and who would... Um, uh, make sure there were no work shy prisoners that um, that bunks were um, properly uh, maintained and that um, tidiness was properly maintained within barrack blocks um, and then there were um, inmates who served as capos in camp administration these were um, those who could 
read, write, who were good with accounts, um, that kind of thing. Those who had medical experience, who could work in infirmaries, and those who could work in storerooms and kitchens and that sort of thing. And these were attractive jobs that different uh, groups within the camp would try to uh, uh, try to kind of monopolise. And particularly, the communists made sure that the best jobs went to their own kind. Anyway, there's an awful lot more to say about camp life here, and we're going to continue looking at it, uh, looking at camp life for uh, gay and lesbian prisoners and for uh, asocial prisoners. But again, I hope you found this useful and informative. Uh, and if you do, then uh, if you would consider swinging by our Patreon page, we can always use um, a good friend out there to help us with the running costs of things. Anyway, thanks very much, and I look forward to speaking to you all again on the next Explaining History podcast. All the best. Bye-bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.